0: Hey, everyone. The It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.
1: Really having to look at a beat that stock prices are fluctuating, there's no money coming in, there are layoffs, there are executives not taking salaries, like all of these things have happened in the last 18 months, you know, with a company like Live Nation. So that's really been a challenge.
0: Music reporting these days isn't all about going to concerts or getting to hang out with pop stars. A lot of it involves digging deep into the inner workings of this multi-billion dollar industry. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Shirley Halpern is the executive editor of music at Variety, where she oversees the music coverage for both The Print Magazine and Variety.com. Shirley recently moderated a panel of women in music media about their experiences leading in the era of COVID-19. Shirley, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here because you
0: have a very kind of interesting history, and, and uh, I'm really looking, into, looking forward to finding a little bit more about Variety and... The music reporting that you've done. So first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in journalism and, and uh, music journalism in particular?
1: Well, I mean, first off, I just grew up on loving music and being a fan of music. I had many different phases of music obsession through my youth, you know, started with like Depeche Mode and New Wave and then went, you know, into a deep rabbit hole with the Beatles and the Monkees and Elvis Presley and the Doors and then sort of you know, transitioned to top 40, pop, punk, indie rock, and I landed on Grateful Dead for a while, which kind of was, was fortuitous because it opened my eyes, or my ears actually, to a lot of different kinds of music that I'd never been exposed to, like Americana, country, soul, and folk. So I've always been pretty well versed in all kinds of music, and it was really just my passion growing up Then when I went to school, I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, I started working at the school paper, became the arts editor, and just kind of like, you know, realized this is what I want to do with my life. I had been studying like uh, Middle Eastern studies and politics because I I grew up in Israel and I was kind of hoping to maybe go into like international studies. But, you know, the, the rock and roll bug had bit me when I started like reviewing concerts and getting to go to all these cool events in New York city. So I didn't graduate college, but I started my own magazine. It was, it's a fanzine, which is, you know, kind of like a blog in printed form. I wanted to write about the connection between artist and audience. And like the first issue asked about where do you find Paul's boutique in suburban New Jersey? It was a little bit more of like, um, like a heady approach to to writing about music. As I did that, and I, you know, interviewed a lot of bands and edited, obviously, and put together a business plan, all those things, it led me to exploring art and commerce. And as I learned more about the music business, the behind the scenes machinations of how like a song goes from a germ of an idea to the recording studio, to radio, and eventually the internet and streaming services, that drew me in. So I've spent like the last decade really focusing on this like ever evolving business of music. And I've been working in trade magazines for the last ten years, Hollywood Reporter, Billboard, and now Variety. And in each of those jobs it was a very similar sort of focus where, you know, I really looked at the industry from a, a critical, empirical view and and then also, you know, dove into questions that i had had stories that i found interesting things about like perception of you know re-recordings and things like that you know like all kinds all manner of business issues that had to do with music it was like a real you know talk about like going to college again (laughs) you know i certainly graduated from the college of the music business which is what i've been really been concentrating on for the last 10 years
0: It's really fascinating. I I used to uh, do some entertainment reporting, some movie reviews and things like that. And I didn't end up going in that direction. But when you say to somebody says, oh, you're, you know, I want to do music reporting. The idea is you're thinking strictly about, you know, the bands and the the concerts and things like that. But there's so much more behind it. You know, the things that you're talking about, the media, the business behind it, that I would imagine it's, it's really kind of fruitful to cover as a journalist.
1: It really is, and when I got into it, this is actually my 20th year of covering the music industry. My first, like, article with an executive came out in 2001, and when you see how the sausage is made, I guess, as they say, you know, it really is a lot more involved than what you end up seeing on the screen, you know, in a music video or what you end up hearing on Spotify, and I just... I really just found myself drawn to that process of creating how people create and then on the other side how it gets out to the market and then you know why some acts make it and some don't and because i'd had that experience that you're talking about like you know seeing bands and you know i even went on the road for a couple of stories and certainly when i was like into the grateful dead and fish i was like you know on the road all the time so you know, I really got to see firsthand the live experience, the studio experience, and then the executive experience, which was sort of like the last piece of it, you know, which I I also just learned a ton about. So, you know, it's kind of funny, like when you cover the music industry from the outside, I think a lot of journalists get criticized for not having that experience of having worked at a record company or a management firm. But I just felt like I had, you know, really Talk to the artists about these things. You know, I learned about the industry from the artist's point of view. So even though I didn't work at a record company, I still felt like I had an insight that your, you know, your average music journalist who does, you know, concert reviews and album reviews and maybe features didn't really have. So, I felt like I was kind of on the forefront or something. There weren't a lot of female music industry journalists at that time, although there were a few that I really look up to and they've been like mentors, you know. But it's still like you could count on two hands the number of female journalists who are covering the music industry. So I just, I don't know, it felt like a lane that made sense for me and I took it and I stuck with it.
0: Do you feel that, you know, your expertise or your understanding of the business side of, music helps you in all types of interviews that you do, not just necessarily maybe with a business person, but maybe even the artist side of things?
1: I think so. It's actually a good question because, you know, it's not the same when you're covering the movies or the television industry. You know, there's so many people involved and it's a one-time project. You know, you you put like a, a movie, you put an ensemble together, they work together, it's that crew for that one project. But with music, it's like many, many years, sometimes decades of staying with a single company or even moving around from different companies. But, you know, there's not that sense of like, this is something that's a moment in time and then it will change. It will move on. So I think that's kind of part of it. In talking to artists, yeah, I've heard their gripes about what's wrong with the music industry. And I've also seen it work for them. So, you know, I come in, I think, with a very sort of objective view of objective and realistic view of like, this is what it takes to make it, you know, and it's a fascinating process. And it's really great when you see it develop from like a little kid like Justin Bieber, who I started covering in like 2009 when he was, you know, barely, I think, 13 or something like that, 14, Maybe he was 16, 17, but um, I started covering him so early that I got to see him, you know, really develop from like, you know, kind of like a teen act to, you know, like a legitimate artist with sold out arenas and, you know, a career that is now really has gone way beyond where he started as a pop singer. So, you know, that's been really great too, to just see an artist go through this like you know circle of life that is the music business
0: do you find that you know now that you have this sort of perspective on all the different levels of music has that changed your your musical taste does it change your appreciation for music
1: oh yes a hundred percent when I was you know starting to do the the fanzine I remember being interviewed you know about you know just being whatever young and doing it a fanzine, and a lot of the questions were like, well, what happens when music changes? And, you know, I always said, well, you just sort of ride the wave, because that's what I've always done. I've always sort of gone between genres of music. But I definitely, in the last, I would say, like 10-15 years, have made an effort to really immerse myself in hip-hop, and in dance music, in, you know, things that I didn't necessarily grow up on, or wasn't exposed to, and I've realized that that question that I was being asked, like as a young person was actually a very important question because, you know, the musical tastes do change and you have to be incredibly well versed in all kinds of music to really be a proper music journalist. Like today, I, could, I feel confident, like I could write about anything. Like If you sent me to an opera, I would be able to come back with a review because I just feel like I, I've learned so much about music in general. And that's been great. It's it's been, you know, really educational and mind expanding to sort of explore other other areas of music i mean i i do like weird stuff i really do go through a lot of like rabbit holes like you know one day it'll be like cambodian pop music from the 60s and you know or i'll listen to like what's coming out of africa like what's the afrobeats situation right now or you know like i really do just bounce around and it it made me realize that again that when i'm weighing like did I get into journalism, music journalism for journalism or for music? I really think it's actually weighted towards the music in my, in my mind.
0: It's almost like food that you, you try different types of foods and you develop appreciation for them as you, as you sort of expand your palate.
1: No, exactly. A hundred percent. And your you know, your tastes get more refined and you're open to trying other things. And it's very similar.
0: You say this is your 20th year as a music journalist. And that 20 years is, I mean, that's the, sp- pretty much the span of digital media, what we consider digital media, even though there was stuff before that, it was really kind of around the 2000s that things sort of started to move. You know, 20 years down the line, what is different, do you think, from what music journalism is when you started, or was when you started? Oh my god,
1: another really good question. I came up in a time when the rock journalist was the sort of heralded profession right Uh, we all know the movie almost famous which came out right around the time that you're talking about 2000 2001 that dream of like I want to be among musicians and I want to be on the road and you know I want to write about things from a really introspective or intellectual point of view or you know whatever it is I think that that's what I came up in and that's a very old school traditional form of journalism I find myself and my age to be a huge advantage because I have a foot in that old school journalism and then also in the digital age because, you know, I was around for the biggest physical album sales week of history until Adele broke it, actually. It was in sync in 2001. They sold 2.6 million albums, CDs, physical albums in one week. And then the music industry literally cratered. For the next seven, eight, nine, ten years, and things were bad—huge amounts of layoffs—and those positions of being an arts journalist or a music editor at a, at a local paper, you know, they started to go away. And I realized that, like, you know, it really is a new world. It is the digital world. Like, I remember interviewing for jobs, you know, sort of earlier in my career, where they would. T- ask me like how are you with the like daily news grind of a website and i'd be like i don't like the daily news grind of a website like i'd rather work on a weekly or a monthly or i would even say like i'm not good at the daily news grind but actually i am good at the daily news grind because that is all it is these days So yeah, so I had a foot in the the old school way of doing things and also in the internet where like, you know, I really learned how to like make a website, you know, get into the e-commerce game, you know, back when I was doing my own thing. I worked at Us Weekly, which was, you know, a major weekly magazine, but didn't have a website when I started in 2002. So, you know, I had to sort of morph into... Being equally adept at digital as print journalism, and I think a lot of people don't have both those skills. It's sort of like you're really good at one, or you're really good at other, and juggling the two is very difficult, and I I feel like I've learned how to do it, because I've had to. Do you
0: write, well, uh, that's a stupid question. I was going to ask you, do you write differently for digital, but I know that answer, but you can answer it if you want, but let me ask it a different way. For variety, print, variety.com, what's, you know, what's your thinking? I mean... Are you able to like deal with things at the same time? Or do you, oh, now I have to turn on my, my print mind. Now I have to turn on my digital mind.
1: Uh, it's so difficult. It's really about like managing your time. Well, I sound like a, an executive coach, you know, being able to seamlessly switch between the two, understand that we used to do a lot of things like when I started at the Hollywood Reporter where it would be like, hold it for print. You know, like, let's get it in the magazine rather than putting it online right away. That is not really audience serving. You know, that's an old old school mentality. I still sort of get that from some of my counterparts, not just at Variety, but all magazines, like there's still that mentality there. It really is about being able to just switch back and forth between the two. And it's rough. You know, I sort of have like the way that I do my day, which is like the first half of the day is very much web focused. And when things kind of quiet down in the evening, I can work on print stories. Like right now I'm working on a Katy Perry cover story. You know, I'm not writing that during the day. I'm writing that when the sun is down. So it's a grind, <laughs> you know, besides the daily news, having that weekly deadline and all these you know special issues and themes and things that we have coming down the road. Like, You know, it really is about, like, compartmentalizing and being able to manage your brain space. You have to make sure you have lunch every day, that you get a good night's sleep. Like, all those things are are still equally important.
0: Yeah, all the things your mom told you you needed to do. Exactly. uh, So that you get make sure you get enough sleep so you, you can do that test. You said that when you sort of started there, you could count on two hands the number of female journalists. What is the environment like at this point in music and entertainment? reporting, is it a better, more fostering place for, for women who want to be journalists and cover these these stories?
1: I think, I I hope that it is. It seems like it is. Of course, it's been almost two years where, you know, people haven't been around other people. So it's hard to speak for like really recent days. But in the last few years, look, I still deal with executives who are of a certain age and say inappropriate things, you know, or the classic sort of like sex, drugs and rock and roll has not left their sort of, you know, mind. So there is still that, you know, are they taking me seriously as a journalist? You know, are they looking at me as just like, who is this girl or, you know, like there's a little bit of that, but I definitely feel like it's waned. Journalists, female journalists are, how am I going to say this? They're still, female journalists are still underrepresented in music journalism, like a lot, but I feel like we've gotten to higher levels of editorship, influence, and that's a really positive thing. But yeah, I still go to these lunches and meetings where I'm just like, I can't believe that just came out of this person's mouth. Like, that still exists.
0: There's some people who, you know, that's why they got in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Exactly. And
1: you know what? I'm one of those people. So (laughs) I can't blame them. But, you know, we've all learned to adapt. And some of these old timers haven't. And they're they're still working. They're still around. So listen, I don't take it too seriously. I understand where people's roots are. The music industry, I say this a lot was not like a noble industry in its start, okay? It was like full of hustlers and people who took advantage of artists who stole songwriting credits. You know, this is the foundation of our business, so we have to be mindful that some of these dynasties still exist.
0: An industry built on grifters. Um, (laughs) You said it. (laughs) I said it. It's just my observation. So anyway, we we talked a, a little bit about this panel that you were a part of that, I guess it was a series that Fireside, Fireside Chats or whatever, hosted by FYI. How did you get involved in that?
1: So right as the pandemic started, we were all, I think, just kind of looking to connect in those early weeks. Like you know, people who were used to seeing each other several times a week or at least several times a month, networking, going to lunches or events or concerts, you know, all of a sudden it went to nothing. And I think we just wanted to keep working. So Tammy Brook, who runs FYI Brand Communications, it's a PR and marketing firm for, they specialize actually in social justice causes. So You know, Travis Scott's charities. Well, Travis Scott's entire career, but his charities too. That's the kind of stuff that they promote. Yeah, so Tammy is someone who I've worked with for a long time. She said she was going to put together this series of fireside chats. I don't know if there were ever more than two, Michael, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but two is a series, maybe. <laughs> two is a series. You know, I wanted to help her out and I also wanted to connect with these people that that I talk to and I work with all the time and it really felt like all of us were feeling so isolated in our homes. So so that's why I participated in it and I've done a lot. I've actually said yes to almost every ask to do a panel or a zoom talk or whatever or or a podcast Or (laughs) or a podcast because in these times like we're just not getting that connection that human to human connection and i just i don't want to disappear for 18 months or two years so so i've really been you know excited to participate in these talks to be honest you know forthcoming you know i think we've all come to appreciate our lives and our our freedoms and all those things. And, you know, I want to put it to use. I don't want to just like hunker down. So that's why I did that talk. And, and I've done a whole bunch since.
0: And I enjoyed it, I think, primarily because it was a bunch of executive women all in the same industry, not all the same job, just talking about the things that they were experiencing. You know, the subject being COVID, you know, how is it changing the way they were they were working? How is it you know, changing their lives and how were each of them adapting to it. Yeah, so tell me, you know, what happened at Variety when the pandemic hit last year? You know, what strategy did the uh, the magazine take?
1: Well, everybody had that sort of same start slash end date, you know, March 13th or 14th or whatever, 12th, 13th, 14th of 2020. A lot of people haven't been back to their offices since. The building has been you know, functioning, but not full of people. (laughs) There haven't been any people around. I still try to go in like once or twice a week. And it's amazing to me like that an entire building could just be so hollowed out. So the first thing I think was adjusting to just everybody working at home, which, you know, we done, everybody works from home at some point during the month. So it's not like it was a new concept, but a magazine, a weekly Print product is very much a team exercise. And I think we all had a very sort of like long-tailed learning curve about how to communicate with each other effectively when we're not in the same room, when we can't spread out a bunch of printouts of photos or or cover mock-ups on a table. In some ways, it's been good. I think the Zoom... The fact that you could see who's speaking or who wants to speak, I think, has been great. You know, sort of encourages people to speak where, like, in a, in a conference room, it doesn't always. So that's been good. But the coverage, not the coverage, but the actual production of the magazine has been really challenging. And Variety puts out 50 issues a year and does these extra editions during award season. And they do these um, daily... Well, they're called dailies during film festivals like Cannes and Toronto. It's so much content. And there were definitely a few weeks that went by where, like, I looked up and I was like, where did March go? (laughs) You know, it was, you know, just like head in the computer all day. So that wasn't great. But I think in terms of the music coverage, the thing that has been most surprising and most of the biggest adjustment has been the the pause of live music. Any story about live music really became a story about adaptation and survival. You know, the concert business had been such a cash cow for so many years and just constantly running at top speed. And I personally never expected to see, you know, such a massive industry go from a hundred to zero in such a short span of time. And covering that has been challenging, you know, again, just like in the absence of being able to go out and network and talk to people, you know, it's really, it's really meant a lot of like working the phones, the old school journalists, uh, you know how to do this. And that's, that's what it's been like to try to cover how agencies, promoters, venues, artists are, you know, going to change the way they tour so that people don't get sick coming to see their live show. You know, it's also been a huge cash crunch for artists that are used to, you know, not only getting touring revenues, but really relying on them. So that's been interesting to cover. How are they, you know, making up for that loss of revenue, whether it's an online performance, like a streaming performance that someone buys tickets for, or within a video game, or, you know, all of these sort of like interesting ideas and have emerged in the last couple of years that concern live music. But the thing that makes me super sad is that I kind of weep for the youth that has no concept of concerts. Like if you were 11 in 2020 um, and now you're 13, you know, and maybe you love Harry Styles, but you've never been to a concert, maybe you'll see him on this tour, but you're not gonna get that experience because of all the COVID restrictions. It's like, you can't just like let loose the way that people do at concerts. Um, and also a lot of, you know, people who haven't been to concerts are, are getting them digitally. And that's not a real concert either. So I, I really do like that makes me sad. It kind of breaks my heart that people ha- aren't having that communal live experience and virtual performances haven't really emerged as a substitution, even though they've shown that there is a place for an alternate business model when it comes to live music. So, so that's been the biggest change in terms of variety you know, really having to look at a beat that stock prices are fluctuating, there's no money coming in, there are layoffs, there are executives not taking salaries, like all of these things have happened in the last 18 months, you know, with a company like Live Nation. So that's really been a challenge.
0: Has the pandemic, did that sort of speed up something that maybe was already taking place since digital has become such a a big part of promotion and engagement with audience, do you think?
1: Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. It has speeded up the options for seeing something, you know, where you're not there in person. You know, not every city gets the Harry Styles tour. So there must be a way to get those secondary markets or those, you know, more rural or you know, whatever areas to be able to take in a Harry Styles concert. And there must be a way to do it digitally. We certainly have the technology to pull it off. I think what the pandemic's done is it's weeded out a lot of companies who really couldn't keep up with the tech. And the ones that are good at live streaming events, whether it's someone playing a guitar in their living room or putting on a full production like Dua Lipa did, those companies have risen to the top. There's a lot of them. But there's about a dozen that I think are really good at it, and I think we'll see those companies grow.
0: For a, a young woman or just a, a young person coming into the industry now who, who want, you know, had the same dream that, that you had when you were younger, who loved the music and wanted to cover it, what would you tell them? What, where do you think that it would be best for them to kind of focus or put their focus, I guess?
1: I would say that a big part of being a music journalist is the actual journalism part. So the number one thing that I tell like interns or people that I'm working with or mentoring is read a lot, you know, don't just read short little articles and social media, you know, inspired stories online, read a, a New Yorker story, read a book, having that affinity for language is so important in music journalism because, you know, there's a famous saying about writing about music is like dancing about architecture. It's not easy and learning those skills, those journalism skills, I think are are of paramount importance. And the way that you do that is by reading, not watching a video of someone being interviewed, like actually taking in the words. So that's one thing. The other thing I would say is travel, get out, expand your mind, you know, expand your physical presence, go to other countries, see how other people live. You know, a lot of the stuff that I picked up about music, or how even how the music industry works was because I really loved British music. And I went to London a lot when I was like a teenager and in college, you know, I've traveled all over the world and been exposed to all kinds of artistry and art just in general. So those are the two things. I know they're not like you should intern for, you know, this kind of company or start as an assistant, you know, yes, all of those things will come in due time. But it's really about having a wide world view of music, you know, if that's the chosen path for you,
0: yeah, and if you're a journalist, you want to be able to communicate rather than, as you said, those quick music reviews and quips. I mean, it's not all about social media. It's also you know understanding and interpreting and you know communicating ideas to people. Shirley, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. If, if people want to read your stuff now, and one of the things I didn't mention is that, that you wrote three books, three books? Mm-hmm. Yes, three books that all have very interesting titles. <laughs> do look like they probably came from somebody who had an interest in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I would encourage people to check those out. But, you know, if people want to read your stuff, where can they find it?
1: Well, Variety.com, you know, obviously all of the music. Coverage is curated by me, and I edit a lot of the articles, especially the bigger articles and the cover stories. I don't write as much as I used to, but I like to try to do more with less. So look up my byline on Variety, and and you'll find lots of articles. But yes, I have a bit of a checkered past. My first internship was actually at High Times Magazine, which is the marijuana Bible, when I was still in college. So There is a whole other road of uh, being an advocate and an enthusiast that has, you know, that is another sort of chapter of my life. But you can find those books on Amazon. And I really appreciate you having me on, Michael. It's been really great talking to you.
0: You know, I have actually one question that just occurred to me. As an editor Mm -hmm. who
1: curates,
0: what's a good pitch for you?
1: What's the business story that has to be in there? Even if it's something like this artist isn't signed, but has X, Y, and Z going on, or has brought in X number of uh, dollars in revenue on, on his or her own. That's the story that I'm looking for. I'm always looking for the business angle. You know, I love the artistry of music and I love consuming music, but when it comes to variety, it's all about how does this impact economically?
0: Shirley, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.